Thank you for coming today. My name is Suzette Nutt, and I am the children's minister at Highland Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas. And I'm Dana Pemberton, and I am I'm her sidekick. I think. Uh, she's in the program. I'm not. I just came along for the ride. But um, I'm on faculty at ACU. I teach education courses. And she's also a volunteer, a long-term volunteer in the kindergarten first grade class on Sunday mornings. And so I invited Dana. Everybody needs a conversation partner. And we saw Wendy and Marion and Carrie the last two days, how they have, they have made a conversation. And Dana is one of my conversation partners. And so um, we wanted to, hello. Hi, <laughs> Roman, how are you? <laughs> She's another minister on staff at Highland, and so we are glad you guys are here. But we, um, I have three children. I have a 34-year-old and a 17-year-old and a 6-year-old. And so Wendy and Marion um, alluded to children are different now than they used to be, and I can say that. I've parented in those three generations, and raising my 34-year-old is way different than raising my six-year-old. The world is a different place. And so what we do in churches and in schools and classrooms, whatever your context is, we have to respond to the, the world that children live in today. And so children have the same feelings we do. They have the same stresses we do. And so we wanted to invite you into a conversation um, that we've been struggling with for the last two years. And last night as we were kind of going over things, we, I just looked at Dan and I said, why did we pick this one? <laughs> because this is hard. And so, um, but we really, we like to ask questions and we ask a lot of questions. And so you are not gonna leave here with any answers today. What we hope you'll leave with are some really good questions that you can ask in your classrooms and in your faith communities and in your teacher meetings and in your elder meetings. And um, because you're gonna see just a, a peek, we saw a peek into Wendy and Marion and Carrie's world. You're gonna see a peek into part of our world that's not our program. It's not what we do in class, it's not what we do, but it's something that we're struggling with. And so this quote from St. Benedict, let all guests who arrive be received like Christ. I say those words every Wednesday night. Those are my words that I say every Wednesday night. And um, so we want these words to kind of frame um, where we're going. But before we start, let's pray. God, we come before you with thanksgiving for this beautiful sunny day in a beautiful place where we can see the ocean and we can hear the waves crash on the beach and we can see seals or sea lions and dolphins and whales and all the things that you've created. And so thank you, God, for that reminder of your power. And God, we just invite you into this space today and um, we ask that you invite us into your space as well. God, you're our hope and our salvation, and we place our trust in you. Amen. Amen. 
So I want to tell you a little bit about where we're coming from. Highland is an almost 90-year-old church, and about 30 years ago, we chose not to move out of a downtown neighborhood. We chose not to move south where the city was growing, so we stayed in the downtown neighborhood. And so many of the homes around our church are li people live in them who are, um, they live in poverty. Uh, many of the children kind of raise themselves. There's a drug dealer that lives on the corner right across the street from the church parking lot. And um, it's just, it's not, it's not the safest neighborhood in Abilene. It's not the worst neighborhood in Abilene, but it's not the safest neighborhood in Abilene. And so we have um, had a great opportunity to be able to make connections with the people who live in that neighborhood. And so today, what we're gonna be talking about is welcoming all and including, including everyone in the hospitality of Jesus. And so on Wednesday nights in our, we have, I don't know, do all y'all do Wednesday night church? Yeah. Well, I don't know how it is in your church, but Wednesday night church is hard in our world. <laughs> <laughs> it's my so, least favorite stars in your town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And so about eight years ago, we started on this real intentional journey of making Wednesday nights different. It's, you know, we kind of, instead of ramping up on Wednesday nights, we've ramped way down. It's real simple, it's real easy to participate in. And because we live in the neighborhood, a lot of kids, and I'm gonna call them neighborhood kids, not because I like to distinguish they're our kids, just like any kid that is in our church, but just so you'll kind of know what the context is, I'm gonna call them neighborhood kids. And actually, they're quite proud of the name neighborhood kids. They like that name, but anyway. Um, so our neighborhood kids, many of them come, well, all of them, not many of them. All of them come by themselves. They come totally independently. We don't know their parents. Their parents don't know us. Um, and that's by design. Their parents know where they are, but their parents, if you ask their parents, they'll say, well, that's my church, even though they may have never stepped foot in our building. And so we feel like we have a relationship with some parents, but it's not based on um, personal knowledge. And so, um, and that, that creates a whole different um, scenario. And we have worked, we eat dinner with the neighborhood kids on Wednesday nights before church. We've done that for 10 years. So every Wednesday night, the children's ministry staff and the Wednesday night volunteers eat dinner together, play games together before um, class starts. And um, but once you got to fifth grade, there was no pathway forward. We'd have these kids that we'd known since they were three, or four, or six, or eight, and there was no pathway forward for them. They would get to middle school, and then they just couldn't do it. And that just grieved my soul so much. I was like, there has to be a pathway forward where kids who are a part of us can still be part of us, even though they've gone on to middle school. And so our conversation today has come out of what's happened in the last two years as we've tried to open a pathway forward with our middle schoolers. We have a great partnership with our student minister. Um, our church is fully on board with this, but it's been really, really, really hard. And so we're gonna talk about some hard things today, and um, but we wanted you to kind of have a little bit of a picture of where, where we were coming from. 
And so here are some foundational beliefs that everything we say today are going to be framed in this way. The first one's not on there, but I'm going to say it because it's everything I do is from this perspective. I believe that this generation of children is going to be called to do something they cannot do if they can't hear God's voice. And I don't, I don't know why I believe it, but it is just in me. And so everything we do is measured about, does this help them hear God and know God? Um, does it help us draw closer to the heart of God? And we know what God feels about children. Does it help us create people that we're sending in the community? Um, how, how, do, how do we do that? These kids, they are ministers in their community. And so everything that we do is, is framed by that. But we believe that all are welcome and everyone has something to offer. Um, this, the second one is a quote. You want me to talk about that? Or just, um, and that's not always easy. Sometimes the, the children who come uh, from the neighborhood, they, they keep coming back and they seem to hate being there. <laughs> Why are you here? Are you? But, but they're welcome. And uh, it's not always an easy welcome. But that's not just our, our, our friends who come to us from the neighborhood. Um, I'm assuming you have children in your churches that are hard to welcome, who are uh, the children of church members there, and for any number of reasons. But what we believe is that I do have something to offer. I think some of the holiest moments that I can remember when I cry. Um, on Wednesday evenings, the, the children often want to read the Bible out loud, which has been such a blessing to us and, and such a surprise. Uh, it's not something we anticipated. Uh, but Susetta started that, and the kids want to read the Bible. In fact, last week, they all wanted to read the Bible out loud, and that kind of became what they did. But it's, it's not a time when children clap for each other. There have been a few times when the children have clapped. Uh, a child with disabilities whose behavior was erratic and really struggled. One night he read, and the children clapped. Uh, another time a child who was new to the Bible read God's Word out loud. And so everyone has something to offer. Um, our children who grew up knowing the Bible and our children who grew up not hearing the stories from God's, God's Word have something to offer to help us understand better who God is and what he's doing among us. They all have something to offer. Um, the class is not all about me as the teacher. It's about us. There's a bigger story that we're all a part of. And... Um, when I hear people say something about doing class for children, we don't do class for children, we do class with children. You know, it's my class. I'm learning just as much as they are. And so there's a bigger story, and with some kids, you know their story easily, but other kids, it's not safe for them to share their story, so they hold it inside of them. And so sometimes you have to be a detective to find out what the bigger story is. Um, it is messy. Sometimes, but we believe that God is in the mess. Um, we have learned to watch for the holy moments because there are some nights that we go, well, they heard God and Jesus and they went home breathing. Um, pretty much. <laughs> that's, that's the success. But, but every time when we stop, there is a holy moment every week. There's something where God breaks through. And so even when it's messy, we hold to believe he's in the mess. I mean, that's the incarnation, right? He's 
stepped into the mess. And um, so we try to find him in the midst of the mess. And because we've learned that God is in charge of God's relationship with a child, that's not my job. Right. That's not your job. That's God's job. And so it gives you a lot of freedom to be okay with the mess because you don't take things personally. Or you try not to take things personally. <laughs> so if you were here yesterday and the day before, uh, Wendy and her team shared how what guides them is this understanding that not every child comes to the story in the same way. Uh, some of that has to do from those various aspects of spirituality. Some of that has to do with the story they bring to the process. Um, and so as we receive children and we receive their story and we trust that God is doing God's work, um, we have to remember that they don't all come to the story in the same way. Um, we're going to talk about the word challenge some, and we want you to know that that word, if you hear that word, you might have a negative response, but that that's not how we're using the word in a negative way. There are sometimes negative things happen in challenge, sometimes positive things happen. Both of us have challenging children. Both of us have children who sometimes I'm sure the teachers have been a little sad when they walked in the room because they're, they're know-it-alls, they're bossy, <laughs> they're active. And so, you know, we, we have had to parent challenging children. But let's talk just a little bit. And um, how do you define challenging behavior? And how do you feel when a child in your class doesn't react or respond the way that you would like for them to? So if you have a neighbor, you can turn to your neighbor, or you can just throw it out. Yeah. So what is what if you're if you're doing? What's the first thing that comes how to you feel? Oh, frustrated. Either one. Frustrated. Yeah, frustrated. Frustrated. Okay. Because usually they, it's every week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So frustrated. Because you know what you're going to get when they walk in the room. Okay, so you feel frustrated. What else do you feel? Like just downcast. Like, like I, this kid is this way and it doesn't matter what I do. And it's, yeah. So you feel a little hopeless, maybe. Yeah, sometimes. Downcast. Hopeless. A little hopeless, yeah. What else? How do you feel when, despite all your planning, despite all your good work, it doesn't seem to be working? Last week we had at our church we had a guest from Portland come speak, do the preaching at our church, and I do. I'm the worship leader for children's worship, and in our church children are in service. Children um, up to three are in assembly care, and then children's three through five, so three through kindergarten. When the sermon begins, they come be with me for children's worship. But in our church we believe very strongly that children need to be in worship. And um, so I do children's worship. I'm the worship leader. And if that's my church, I love it. But um, this guest speaker, his wife and his young son came to children's worship last week. And there, on that day, there were 50, 55, three through five-year-olds. And um, that's kind of my sweet spot. Children's worship, in many ways, is my sweet spot. That's like 
that's where I feel like I kind of do my best work in some ways. And it was one of those days where it was like a basket full, imagine 50 kittens in a basket. <laughs> and they're just tumbling all over each other. And I looked over at this lady from Portland, Oregon, inner city Portland, and the look on her face was just like, and afterwards, um, somebody said, oh, I heard that so-and-so was in the class, and they were like, oh, we're so glad she got to see what you do. And I was just like, I'm pretty sure she's on that plane saying, that woman does not know what she's doing. <laughs> and so sometimes you can even feel embarrassed when children yes. don't respond in the way that you would like for them to. So. And, and all of those feelings are valid. They are our feelings. The challenge is not letting them guide our responses, you know. And um, Judy Seibert, um, the wife of the late Charlie Seibert, who many of us know, um, she was um, the high school counselor for my kids. I'm just like all kind of weepy, but she got my challenging kids, uh, especially my son. But she said something um, one time when she was speaking to my, my students at ACU, and, and she said, if you feel helpless with a kid, odds are that kid feels helpless. If, you, if a child makes you feel angry, odds are that kid's angry. If a child makes you feel frustrated, odds are that kid is frustrated. Um, that, that children give you what they're feeling. And, and that helped me as I received children's anger to realize it's not about me. Um, and to try to receive that anger um, my husband writes about lament and about how God receives our anger and God receives our frustration and our loneliness and our helplessness. And that reminds me just to respect um, and not to feel uh, angry back, not to feel hopeless back. Um, those were wise words that have guided me. Um, when we think about challenging behavior, when I ask my students uh, what that means, it's like when kids don't do what you want them to do, you know, and so often when we define challenging behavior, we're thinking about the kids, the things kids do that we need to correct, or the things kids do uh, that break the rules, or the things kids do that don't fit our culture or structure. So, let me give you some examples of that from, from my kids, and you'll be thinking of some things that are in your world. But in our children's worship, three, four, and five-year-olds, we had a little girl from the neighborhood who is only there every other week because she's with a grandma. And when she comes in, this is what she does. She walks in, and wherever, wherever her grandma places her feet, she does this. And she stands that way for the entire hour. This. And that was so disconcerting to the volunteers who... You know, we're trying to redirect her, and for me to try to redirect her. And so after one time of trying to redirect her, I just said, you know what? She's not hurting anyone, and for some reason she doesn't feel safe to do anything else, even though that's a very safe space. So we're just going to let her be how she needs to be. And so for a whole month, she came in, and for a whole month, wherever her feet entered the room, she stood there like this and that was hard for our volunteers they're like but just let her be let her be okay, so i had a kid in my class who um uh, 
being raised by his grandmother, but would go back and forth between his grandmother's house and his mother's house. Um, there was some there was some drug issues with his mom, but he'd go back and forth. And um, one Sunday morning, <laughs> um, and I have an odd class. I, I I confess there are there are four PhD teacher educators in the room. You know, I mean, it's not it's 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 unusual. But uh, and then three kindergarten teachers. Uh, public school. Who refuse to separate from one yeah, they another. We're like this little church. It's our community. Um, but on this Sunday, he was having a really difficult time entering the space. Uh, he would often enter the space, and the only way he knew to connect with the kids when they were doing their gathering materials with Legos was to go over, look at them, and kick them down. That's, that's all he knew to do uh, to try to enter the space. So we, we worked through that. But on this day, he just really couldn't calm himself. I'm I'm, I'm starting our, our gathering story time, and he decides to start running around in the room. Well, every other PhD in the room and kindergarten teacher couldn't catch him, but he got close <laughs> enough to me that as he ran by, I just scooped him into my arms like this, and he's on my knee, and he's just like all over the place. Um, and we just kept going. We just kept going. Um, and I, I recognize I live in an odd context with all those people in the room. Um, but kids like that who bring those kind of behaviors um, can frustrate your volunteers. It's really, really hard. And I acknowledge I live in La La Land with that. I, I acknowledge that. Um, but even then, he, his behavior was frustrating, even for those people in the room. And then on Wednesday night, when we've added middle schoolers to our mix who are now bringing high school friends, what we found was that even changed our elementary world because their lives are so enmeshed in the neighborhood. You know, big brothers take care of little sisters and um, or cousins take care of, you know, it's it's very enmeshed. And so we, we've seen a shift in behavior and we have, we have, I've known a lot of kids in 32 years of being on staff at a church and these middle school kids are the hardest kids I've ever known. They're, they're the hardest kids I've ever known. And we have a group for the first six months that they came on Wednesday night. They, if you got close to them, they postured and they started shouting obscenities at you. And you can imagine how that goes over on a <laughs> church on Wednesday night. And so they were scary. Or they would be, they had planned to have a fight. And so they'd come to church ready to have a fight in the parking lot. And so you can imagine how that, you can imagine. And so lots of different kinds of behavior from lots of different ages. One of my favorite books about childhood behavior is by authors Kaiser Resninski. And this definition really helps me uh, when I think about challenging behavior. Um, it is any behavior that interferes with the child's cognitive, social, or emotional development. Any behavior that is harmful to the child, other children or adults. Any behavior that puts a child at high risk for later social problems or failure. So what do you notice about the, that definition? It's about the child. It's about the child. <laughs> and that was just, was like, okay, this is not about me. This is not about me. Uh, sometimes I'm a convenient target. Um, and we have both been convenient targets over the years. Um, 
And here's the funny thing about that, what you learn, you'll learn what your tolerance for things are. You can cuss at me at the top of your lungs all day long and it's not gonna raise my blood pressure. But if a teenager rolls their eyes at me, <laughs> it like yeah. sends me into, and the kids learn what it is. I mean, our friend who, she learned. It doesn't matter how many times I say those words, she's just gonna keep going. But get in her face and roll my eyes while she's talking and they can watch my, you know. And so you have to learn what sets you off. And I asked my kids, I asked, I went home and I was like, did y'all know that it upsets me when I roll my eye, when someone rolls their eyes at me? And my 17 year old was like, uh, duh, you know. <laughs> but I didn't know that about myself till this, and this really smart, really hard girl figured out, hey, I can't get her by yelling and screaming at her, but I can roll my eyes at her and it'll, it'll get a different response. So you have to know yourself. And I think this de definition is not just for our volunteers. Or This can really help your parents who are struggling with a child that, that is struggling for whatever reason. Um, to say, okay, I, I know this frustrates you. I, I, I understand that. I know you're weary. Uh, I know you feel your authority has been threatened. Often parents feel that way as well as teachers. But let's look instead at what this behavior is. Um, what I like to try to remember is that every behavior I see a child uh, exhibit is telling me something. It's telling me something. It always communicates. So when we were... <laughs> rambling around the table last night going, why didn't we pick something else to talk about? Um, because we, we know we're not going to leave here with answers. It's, it's, it's being in the mess with it. Um, this scripture came to mind and, and oh, let's, let's look it up. And so we got on handy dandy Bible Gateway and looked at a couple of versions. And when we opened this version of this passage, the Lord didn't give you a spirit of fear, it was, we felt from the Spirit to help us think about. Because a lot of what we encounter when we, we have those feelings of embarrassment, we're afraid of what people are going to think about us. When we're helpless, when we encounter a child, we're afraid we're not going to be able to do what needs to be done. When we're angry at a child, we're afraid that we're going to lose control and that kid's going to take over. All those things, a lot of those things come down to fear down to fear. And so let's read these words together. For the Holy Spirit, God's gift, does not want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and strong and to love them and enjoy being with them. Wow. <laughs> Makes me think of my friend Joe. He does that. Well, and as we think about, we're going to jump back to our Wednesday night context, because we were afraid, and our volunteers were afraid, because some of these kids were so hard that you didn't know if you were going to get hit, or kicked, or bit, or whatever. If you reached out to touch them, they were screaming, I'm going to call the police, you know. Okay, let's call the police. That'll be fine. Let's call them together. Let's tell them, you know. And so, and even though I wasn't afraid of them personally, 
there were lots of people who were watching what was going on and were starting to come say, well, why can't you get control of this? Why can't you? Why can't you? And so, and all the strategies that the PhDs and that the, nothing was working. Nothing was working. Yeah. But also, we're starting a neighborhood ministry, but we own the most we have, maybe, or 10. Yes. But what we're finding is that we the members, the parents, the children that are members there, grew up in the church, the parents aren't wanting to bring them because yeah. of their behavior. So we're struggling yeah, they're right. with that, yes, yeah. and I understand, but it's, it's uh, we're just trying to work yeah. through that. And so. you're not alone now. You're, you're not alone in that. And so what you have to do is you have to find a way to make the space safe for everybody. And there's no right or wrong answer for that because I don't live in your context. You don't live in mine. And, and what, if we could get them up in the children's wing in that space, everyone did fine. But it was when you left that wing that it became hard, yeah. you know. And so... But that fear and that, and so we had to go through a lot of problem solving that, you know, because we were starting to hear, well, maybe you just need to tell them they can't come back. Well, that's not very hospitable, you know. And, and good-hearted people were saying that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't out of a spirit of meanness. It was out of a spirit of fear. And so, you know, and we, so we did some things that didn't feel very hospitable we locked the building down, and our building has a jillion ways to get in, like a jillion ways to get in. And so we locked the building down where we controlled. You came in one or two doors. Well, that almost took an act of Congress to lock the doors down because, well, that's not hospitality is what it would say. I'm like, wait a minute. This is a time when we have to inconvenience ourselves on behalf of a vulnerable group of people, and these kids are vulnerable. They don't want you to know they're vulnerable. But they are. So we have to inconvenience everybody on their behalf and make it safe. And I said to someone, no, when you come to my house, do you come in through the garage? And they just kind of looked at me. And I said, no, you come in the front door. I tell you what door you're coming into, you know, because that's how I offer you hospitality. If you're a backdoor friend, you get hospitality at the back door, but not everyone. There, there are two ways to get into my house if you don't live in my house. And it's the front door or the kitchen door. And so I said, it's the same thing here. We don't have to open every door. We're going to offer hospitality because we can keep people safe when they come in these doors. And change is hard and people fight change, you know. I, I fight change. Um, but it, sometimes you change things for the need of the one because if it's not working for that one, it's not working for anybody. And so <laughs> if, if the change can make it work for that one. And I just keep remembering that we, we serve a Savior that left the 99 for the one. Um, he left the 99 because they were fine. And he went after the one that wasn't safe. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Did you have another thought? I saw your No. no oh, no. I was just adjusting my glasses. So how do we do this? So we don't know. So let's think about it. <laughs> um, be wise. And we're, we, we broke this down, okay? If, if those are the parts of um, not being afraid of people, first we have to seek wisdom. And 
I think to be wise means you start from the assumption that you don't know everything. It, it's it's not. I, I really like being right. Ask her. I like being right. And I'm Me really, really good at being right. <laughs> I get paid to be right every day. Um, but it's really important for us to, to approach these children with a posture of curiosity. Not this, I wonder what's going on, but this posture of openness to, to figure out what's going on. To figure out what are the triggers. What is it in the environment? This Suzette learned she couldn't approach those kids, so she stopped approaching those kids, you know? Uh, yeah, what is your triggers? At church, your automatic response yeah. is, hey, I'm, you know, I've known you for two years. I'm going to go give you a hug. You, that's not, yeah. that's not. I, mean, I had a kid one time who just didn't want to look in the eye, and so I learned to talk to that kid standing side by side, not looking at him, you know. So I looked at him, he went off. And, and so that takes some detective work, you know, but it takes a, the assumption that you don't know. Um, it's really easy for me to think I just know what's going on and then respond to what I think I know. Um, but then I often find out I was wrong. Well, and it takes time and it takes consistency of people. I'm with mm -hmm. these kids every week, every week. And we, our student minister was new and he came to me one day and he said, they gave me the wrong address. And I just looked at him and I said, they don't trust you yet. They gave him an address that didn't exist. I mean, the streets don't ever connect. And, and I said, I said, it was years before some of those kids trusted me to tell you where they lived, you know? And so it takes time and it takes consistency. So do they walk over? They walk over. Do you have a form sign to have the parents? Because we, we, we did get some form signs saying that not necessarily. But, no. Wow, okay. And, and that's the vulnerability too. And there have been times when I've been afraid, yeah. not always of what the kid's going to do, but what's going to happen if this kid hurts himself, yeah, you know, or runs away from me and runs out. It, and there were some children that I remember would leave and we would just pray they'd get home safely. Um, a lot of times we, you know, we, we don't take children home. We don't put ourselves in the position to transport children without permission or, you know, but when it's dark, I've walked a lot of kids home with another adult. You know, it's dark outside. I'm going to walk home with you. I'm going to make sure that you, you know, get home safely. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of liability things that would, if you stop and think about it, you would never walk back in the door ever again, you know. I mean, you would just say, well, I was just told, yeah, the elders, you have to get something. And, yeah. And I had to go, and as the kids came, they, I, you can't come until you bring this form back. And then I, but I did. I met all the parents, but that was. Yeah, and that's that was a change. I mean, different contexts. And we do know some of the parents, yeah. you know. And, and probably probably if a risk manager from our church hears this tape <laughs> they're gonna say oh yes, my goodness <laughs> you know but again this is this is this who is we are right now yes. and and right. as we're talking the reason that this was what we put on the you know Suzette was gonna come speak and say, you should really talk about that because that's what you're doing right now um, but this isn't just about the children she's encountering now, though it's escalated yes. and it's harder. Um, 
these principles apply to children, any child, um, who somehow doesn't quite fit our structure. Yeah. Then be strong. Acknowledge your feelings. Like when someone's eye rolling them at me, I, I have to acknowledge I'm not going to respond to this eye roll inside. I have this internal conversation. I'm not going to respond to this. I'm not going to respond to this. You know, you have to acknowledge it, but you don't let that dictate how you respond. So, um, just receive God's grace and then be the vessel to offer that to someone who's struggling in front of you, whether they're two or whether they're 12 or whether they're 45. Um, and just be gentle, have a spirit of gentleness, have a spirit of persistence and patience. Um, and that's hard to do sometimes. That's hard to do sometimes. And you're gonna, you're gonna mess up. You're gonna get it wrong. Um, and so being gentle with yourself as much as gentle with the children is, is just as important. Um, I've apologized to children. I've said I got that wrong. You're right, I got that wrong. Um, and it, I think we have to be willing to be vulnerable with children in that way. When we realize that our response to them triggered something that's not under their control. And that, that was a really helpful thing for me to come to understand is a lot of this is really not under their control. Maybe yet, maybe for some of them never. It's, it's not necessarily under their control. Um, but be gracious with yourself when you, when you fail. And then just be willing to laugh about it. I mean, sometimes the best healing after a night that is really hard is just to find some laughter. Uh, laugh at yourself, uh, laugh at the, you know, the, the tons of kittens rolling all over the floor and um, laugh, just, just laugh. And even there have been times when we've been with the kids on, on a Wednesday night. Um, Susetta often does the story in the center on the floor and sometimes the kids can stay away but sometimes they're like, you know that old movie, the slime movie, where it's like this slime just kind of creep. They become this collective slime and they just inch forward and forward. And you just, you, you try to redirect them you, and eventually you just have to laugh and go, you know what, oh well, it de you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but let them laugh at you. There have been times when the kids have laughed at me. Um, and so it, that can be very healing though. It can be a great equalizer. And the try again after you fail, I think sometimes we're guilty of we quit too soon. If it doesn't work one time, we're like, oh, never doing that again. Didn't work. And I just think you can't. You can't. You can't quit too soon. If it doesn't work, you tweak something a little bit and you keep you keep trying. You keep trying. You know, we um, we have when we started practicing spiritual disciplines on Wednesday night years ago. Um, I so I, one night the first night we did something. I turned the lights down and I just looked at the kids and I was like, "We just all got to take a deep breath together." So we took a deep breath and I said, "Do you think we can be still and quiet together?" And um, everyone was kind of looking at me like, "I don't know." And I said, "Well, let's try it. Let's see what happens." And. 
so for 30 seconds, those were the longest 30 seconds of my <laughs> life, we were quiet together. And the next morning in our staff meeting, the rest of the team said, I don't know what got into you last night, but I hope we never do that again. And I just said, well, we're gonna do it for a year and we're gonna see what happens. And by the end of that year, the children would pick how long they wanted to sit in silence. And we did seven minutes one night. Not because I said we're gonna sit in silence for seven minutes, but because they wanted to do that. Now we don't do that practice anymore because we've learned how to come to quiet because children are in places where they've, we practice that regularly in different ways. But that first time when we started it, we didn't know what was gonna happen. But if we had stopped after that first night, we would have missed something really, really, really beautiful and holy. I, I mean, think about a behavior you tried to change in yourself and it took a little while, right? I mean, you had to fight for the change and you messed up and you, I mean, kids are people. And some of them come with more challenges than we have, and it takes time. Um, we, we tend to want immediate compliance, um, and we tend to think if they can tell us what the rule are, is, that means they can access what they need to do it, and those are two different, totally different, totally different things. Um, and they have to practice it over and over again. They have to be able to mess up um, over and over again. Um, and you know, you look for improvement, Running, trying to run away twice in one night is better than trying to run away 10 times, right? I mean, you know, we're, we're getting better. We're getting better. Um, Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. How do y'all get your, and is there a training for your volunteers? Because, you know, we might get it, but I have volunteers who, and I hate to say this because I am old, but it's usually my older volunteers that don't understand. I even have children who are diagnosed, you know, with autism and, and she is just, one volunteer is just insistent that he just needs to be spanked. And it's not often. And I'm like, are you a psychologist? When did you get your degree? I didn't know this. But I mean, just, I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall to try to even just say, if this works for him, we will do it. You know, and that goes against everything in her because she is a black and white. Yeah, this is how it is. But I, can you speak to that? Yeah, that training is so hard, you know, because we live in a world where, like when we were young teachers, you had to, you were required to go to equipping sessions, you were required to spend a Saturday in a workshop, you were required to, and it, it doesn't work that way. Um, what we do is more one-on-one -on -one and modeling, and, and there comes a point where you have to say, this is the path that we're on, and this is what we're going to do, and I need for you to be on this path with us, or I'll find you another place to volunteer. I mean, you know, there may come a time where you kind of have to draw that line in the sand, but usually when they see you model it, um, even if it's not their personality, when they see you model it and they see that it's working, at least to some degree, um, it gives you a little bit more um, give and take with them. But yeah, when your mind's made up that no practice besides Whatever your they own practice. Your own practice. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's that's hard. And so but I I think the conversation I've taken teachers to dinner and we've sat over dinner and talked about and they've asked questions, well why do you do it this way? And why do you feel so strongly about this? And why do you um, and so but there there's been a time or two where a teacher has said, I, I need to move to a different spot and, and we 
we've been able to accommodate that. And so that, I wish I had a better answer for that. That's hard, that's hard. And some of it, it just takes, you have to build your trust with that person where, because I've been there so long, I've been at Highland for such a long time, I have a lot of relational trust that even if people think I'm crazy, they'll say, well, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt, you know, and so. But I think being in dialogue is certainly where you start, which I know you do that, but it is hard. So much help. Yeah, it is hard. Um, it, when we're loving kids, listen to kids. I'm amazed at how many are our kids, not just our neighborhood kids, but kids, they need somebody to listen to them. They need somebody to listen. And so um, I spend a lot of time listening to children. I try to remember what they tell me. And I know their voices, and they know my voice, and it's because of the relationship that we have, you know. And um, listening can listening can do a lot to new to neutralize conflict, you know. Just um, so, even if they're screaming at you, this is hard. I know this is hard. where you can be what you feel. Yes. You, you, you have to control your actions to your feelings. But I have a little boy that comes in every Sunday morning to children's worship, and he's mad every time. This is what he does. He stomps over to me where I'm sitting in the middle of the stage. He stomps over, and he gets right in my face, and he says, I am mad. I don't want to be here. And I just... Give, he's one I can hug, and I just hug him and say, "It's this is a, it's okay for you to be mad in this room. It's okay for you to be mad." And he just needs that to be. I'm not trying to tell him that he's not mad because he is mad, but um, I listen to him. Joyce Ann Mercer says that one of the challenges we have in church is that we equate spirituality and children with a culture of happy and nice. And uh, if children aren't happy and nice, then we need to make them happy and nice. Um, uh, my son wasn't always happy and nice in Bible class. He's dyslexic. And when he had a teacher who loved those stinking word search puzzles, that's like what hell's going to be like for, for you know, a kid yeah. like me, right? I mean, that's just horrible. And he was, he was not respectful in that context. Um, he was not happy. He felt stupid and frustrated. And it came out in an inappropriate way. I mean, do you remember a time in like I I don't know maybe the last week that you got frustrated and it came out in an inappropriate way, even as a grown up? Um, I think that one of the the ways that we love children is we recognize that they're people. They're not these things that we control. They are people, and they have the same feelings we do. They need a safe place for those feelings to be expressed and received. Uh, sometimes they, they are grumpy. I'm grumpy sometimes. And they don't have the frontal lobe yet to kind of control that like we do, and yet we lose control as well. Um, part of loving them is, is, is allowing them to bring whatever they bring. Um, but it's also listening to just their stories of what happens. I, I, 
in my Sunday morning class, something that I will not let go of, even though um, time in our classes on Sunday morning has been shortened, is our sharing time. Um, and we have a whole little structure for it. But there's something powerful in the children being able to tell about something. And we talk about, and I learned this language from Susetta, that when God's people gather, they listen to each other. Um, they tell something, it can be anything. Uh, and then the other children ask them questions, which for a kindergartner is hard because if you ask a kindergartner if they ask a question, that means is there anything in the world at all that you don't have questions? <laughs> um, and so we have to learn how to listen to each other and ask questions. Never starts with who, what, when, where. It's when you want to know more. Um, but children don't have a lot of space where people are listening to them. They don't have a lot of space where they're able to talk. They can't even talk in the lunchroom, which is like so wrong. Um, they can't talk at school. They, they can't talk, and no one's listening to them. That's a little hyperbolic, I recognize. I'm exaggerating that, but there are very few spaces in many of our children's worlds where people listen to them. And so I, I think that's a huge one. That's huge. And, and part of loving them and listening to them is letting them know who you are, too. Mm -hmm. And so last Wednesday night, I have kindergarten through fifth grade on Wednesday nights, and there were about 55 kids in the room. And I said, now next Wednesday night, I won't be here. I just want to remind you. And they said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to California. And they said, are you going to the beach? And I said, I actually am going to the beach. I said, I'm going to work, but I am going to the beach. And I heard one kid lean over to another kid and say, the beach is her most favorite place in the world. Oh, and wow. I said, you're right. The beach is my most favorite place in the world. And then another kid said, are you going to be thinking about us next Wednesday night? I said, absolutely. I said, I'll be praying. When y'all are at the prayer wall, I'll be praying too. And But I listen to them, but it also, that's reciprocal. That's reciprocal. And so they know me. They know Dana. They know Wendy, you know. So, um, love them no matter what, even if you don't think they're ever going to love you back. Love without condition. And that's not a very American thing. That's no. not. And it takes time. You know, There, we were talking last night about some of the children that we, we've been with. What time is it? We, we have time. Um, who some children come to relationship very very quickly, and some of them it takes a really long time. And um, there are some children that it's not until the second year I have them with me that they finally connect. And there was this one little boy that I remember. I remember in my head the Sunday morning I got a headbutt hug. You know. Yeah. The, the little boy head bed hug that just like, you know, and just like, oh, that's so precious. Don't knock me over. Um, but it took almost two years to get to the head bed hug, you know? And I think that's one of my concerns about um, seeing children's ministry as just something we do for a period of time and then we leave. We need people who walk with our children, you know? We were talking about you, Wendy. Uh, last night, um, that you, like Suzetta, don't just administrate the ministry, you are down with the children in that ministry, and I think that's really powerful. They need adults who know them and adults that they know. And that takes time. It takes a lot of time. And smaller churches sometimes have an advantage with that one. Um, give kids a chance to start over. 
and sometimes it's hard. Um, if they make a mistake, you know what? With our neighborhood kids sometimes, especially the teenage ones, not, not the little guys who are with me, but the teenage, um, if you, you may, your behavior may, you may have to leave for tonight, but come back next week and have dinner with us. And they do, they do. The first time we asked a kid to leave and made sure that that kid left, he was a, a middle schooler, and I just thought, oh, I might never see him ever again. But he was back the next week, you know. And so give them a chance to start over. And take the risk to trust them. Um, that's hard, too, when you don't trust them. <laughs> so Dana reminded me a story of two guys who are, they do live in our neighborhood, and one of them came and said, hey, I want to go to the gym. He had already come to class, and the rule is when you come to class, you stay in class. You don't get to go back to the gym until 8 o'clock. And he said, I left, it, I left this in the gym. Can I go get it? And I, I thought for a minute. I was like, he's probably not going to come back if I let him go. And I said, okay, you can go. And his buddy looked at me and said, Miss Suzetta, you know he's not coming back. Why are you letting him go? You know he's not coming back. And I said, I trust him to come back. And inside I was thinking, please come back. Please come back. Please come back. <laughs> and he did. He, did. he came back. And those little guys are funny. One night I was there and they were, <laughs> they had their hoodies pulled over their face where you could see hardly anything. And they didn't sit on the risers with the rest of the children. They pulled up some chairs behind the risers and were sitting there. And all you could see pretty much was their little mouths. But while they were sing while we were singing, their mouths were moving. Ever so slightly. Uh, but they were moving. And, and those are the things you have to look for. You know, not the sullen posture with the hoodie over the face. So love them and then enjoy being with them, I think is the next phrase in there. Enjoy them. Um, don't take yourself so seriously. And for some people that's harder to do than for others, but that's, that's an important thing to remember. Um, and play with them. You know, our kids don't get a chance to play. They don't. And so play with them. Have times of play. Tell them about yeah, our administrative minister, the middle school kids have not been successful in going to our classes on Wednesday night. So we have a group of volunteers that stay in the gym with them. And maybe someday they'll be where they can go into class, but maybe someday they won't. Maybe they won't. And so this minister, whom I love deeply, he's kind of a facilities guy and administrative guy. And um, he has had to work hard to love these kids because... They're challenging. But I, two weeks ago, I came down, and he said, ma'am, I had a good night. And I said, well, what was your night like tonight? And he said, well, I was in the gym with the boys. And he said, we worked for about 45 minutes on throwing free throws with your eyes closed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so cool. This is a minister who's not in children's ministry, not in student ministry, and he is in the gym with these neighborhood boys. And so they came back the next week and they had been in the park all week practicing throwing free throws with their eyes closed <laughs> so they could. And I just love that. I was like, that is so cool. Um, be genuinely glad to see them. And if you can't be genuinely glad, then ask God to put that in your heart. 
the girl that I was talking about that the, is the hardest kid I know, a couple of Wednesday nights she was walking in and she was coming in and she was walking toward me, but I, she doesn't, I never touch her. And so I, I was, she was walking toward me. I thought we we're going to collide. And so she was walking toward me and I was stepping back and then going forward. And she just came toward me again. And I was like, oh, I don't know what's about to happen. I'm not sure what's going to happen. But she just came. So I stopped and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what she's going to do. Well, she came over and she did this. And she said, I've had a terrible She needed a place to say, I got expelled today. And her heart was broken. And so, um, I, I wasn't always genuinely glad to see her, but I had been praying every day for her. God, let me see you in her. Let me see you. And let me be who you, let me be you to her. And so, um, and there are kids that I, I there's, there's rarely a kid I don't like, but it does happen. <laughs> um, that does mean they don't frustrate me sometimes, but, but it's rare I don't like them. And there was a little boy I really didn't like one time. And um, one night, while we were coming to the quiet, he ended up beside me. And uh, I reached over and started rubbing his little back. And I could feel the tension in his little body. I could feel his heart rate like this. And... In that moment, he wasn't the kid that irritated the crowd out of me because he loved to challenge anything you said. He loved to, he, he was, he, he, there were a lot of adults that didn't like him. Not a burden for a child to carry. But in that moment, he became a kid who couldn't steal his body, you know, who just couldn't calm down. Um, and so there are times when God has had to kind of slap me upside the head and say, get over yourself. Um, you need to be glad this kid is here. And we've all heard, and, and probably, you know, there are times when you go, well, okay, things are a lot easier tonight because so-and-so wasn't here. Um, that's so easy, and sometimes it's true, and that's okay. Um, but there are kids that we do have to have God give that welcome to us. They do seem bent on challenging everything we've got. So, our time is over, but peace be with you as you love and serve children in the name of Jesus, and as you offer the hospitality of God and the, the holy welcome of Jesus. And so, we're happy to take questions over here. I know more people are going to be coming in for the next session, but um, we're, we're glad to have gotten to spend this time with you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.